This is the podcast for Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. In each episode, we attempt to answer common questions concerning the Second Coming and the signs of the times. We are your hosts, Landon Alley and Sean Bailey. Sean is the author of the book series, Chronological Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. Our goal with this podcast is to discuss the Second Coming in a way that's accessible, conversational, and faithful to Scripture. So welcome to the Science Podcast, episode 22. This is kicking off season four. And we are going to kick off season four by reviewing a few things that might be a little confusing. I am here with Eric Burns again today. Hello, folks. And uh, we're all happy to be here. <laughs> and um, I'm actually scheduled to have another episode with Jared. Good. This next good. week. So uh, we will get that out as well. And one of the things that I've heard from a few people is that um, episode number two, episode number two, where we talked about the seven seals, gets pretty complicated, especially if it's just with audio. That's where it comes, the audio. If you were to have a picture that you do have on your notes, if you had that in front of you while the audio was playing, there would be no real question. I mean, there would be questions still, but you would understand what you're saying a lot better. One of the things, if you are confused about episode number two, The Seven Seals, one of the things I would recommend is to go to our website. It's seanswork.com slash signs. And on the website, you can find a, a whole entire list of all of the notes, the scriptures and everything for that episode, including diagrams, pictures, um, timelines, all kinds of cool things. And that would probably help you quite a bit. But what we're going to try to do today is we're going to try to uh, uh, auditorily. <laughs> we're going to make it so that my seven-year-old son could understand. Exactly. What's being said. We are going to have a primary <laughs> lesson on the seven seals. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Um, one of my favorite callings in the entire world was when I was the music leader in primary. So I'm going to talk to Kit and Margot and Hans and Bear and all of my friends in primary so that they can understand exactly how the seven seals work. We're going to talk to primary children and teach the primary children so that all the older children can also understand. And Eric is here to make sure that I get as simple as possible. So I'm the one that called, like, I talked to Sean and I said, Sean, I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. What's the, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's just easier if I show you. And he pulls up his phone and he showed me and I said, that is easier. Yeah. <laughs> and so the question was, what are these little breaks, right? So if the earth is 7,000 years old, and that's what it says in Genesis, right? I believe even, is it in Genesis or is it also in Moses? But it says seven, the, the, it's actually in the Doctrine and Covenants. Is it? I thought it was in, in section Genesis 77. for some reason. But it says that the earth... It doesn't say how old the earth is. No, I know, but it's like, like it's... it's It tells us how long we've been in the period, in, in a temporal existence. In other words, in a time-bound existence. Obviously, there's a, lo a large amount of history that happened before the beginning of time. The creation periods, all of that. We don't know exactly how long that was. It doesn't particularly matter. It could be a short amount of time. It could be billions of years. And honestly, we weren't measuring time back then. And according to the Doctrine and Covenants, time wasn't measured the same way. So when we talk about how the earth has 7,000 years of temporal existence, where does that come from? 
It comes from Doctrine and Covenants chapter section 77, where Joseph Smith is answering questions through Revelation about um, the book of Revelation. And in verse 6, the question portion of verse 6 says, What are we to understand by the book which John saw, which was sealed on the back with seven seals? This is kind of the, the entirety of the, the middle section of the book of Revelation is all about that book or that scroll that has seven seals. And the answer to that question is, we are to understand that it contains the revealed will, mysteries, and the works of God, the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or temporal existence. And again, when we say temporal existence, what we mean is the time-bound existence, when time is measured. And if you don't have the clock turned on, it's not being measured. So when the clock gets turned on and then the clock ends, the clock gets turned off, in between those two times is the temporal existence. And that's 7,000 years. And in verse 7, it says, What are we to understand by the seven seals which with which it was sealed? And the answer to that is we are to understand that the first seal contains the things of the first thousand years. Eric, exactly a thousand years, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly a thousand years. And the second also of the second thousand years. Exactly. Uh, let me let me check. Oh, yes. 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 <laughs> exactly a thousand years and so on until the seventh. So every single group of a thousand years is exactly a thousand years. That is what the Doctrine and Covenants teaches, and that's what that's that's kind of the basis for our entire timeline on this podcast. The tricky part is that the meridian of time, this is the hard one to grasp. Where does the meridian of time fit into that 7,000 years? Well, it's not in that 7,000 years, right? It, there's no yeah, mention. John, John wrote an entire gospel about the meridian of time. Right. He wrote it differently than all of the other gospel writers. And it, it's an incredible book. That's not included in the book of Revelation. Anywhere. It's not at all, ever, anywhere. So. It's not even mentioned. It's not. There's no mention of Christ's birth, atonement, or resurrection. Well, it does talk about the Lamb of God. Okay. But, but it talks about the Lamb of God during the second coming, not the first coming. Right. right? So. That's where it gets tricky because, okay, if there's a 7,000-year period and now we're actually adding on other years, how is that possible? Where does that play into these 7,000 years? And I don't, I don't know if I understand where that plays in. I just know it does, right? Because I don't know at all. But clearly we still are in the sixth seal. The sixth seal is still currently happening. And so either our timeline got off a little bit or there is a space allotted where it wasn't in the seven seals and that would be the meridian of time. I heard an interesting theory from someone that I really respected. Um, I don't recall exactly who that is, but I do remember that- that uh, the feeling, it was good, it was a good feeling. <laughs> that they were quite knowledgeable. Uh, it, it was either a general authority or um, professor at BYU or something. Um, I don't know if that even matters if I can't remember who it is, but 
they thought, well, the meridian means middle, so it's got to be 8,000 years instead of 7,000 years. And since then, I thought, eh, that's probably not right, because where did the rest of the 1,000 years go? And they said, well, that little season is 1,000 years. And I'm like, what? Why would it be, why would they even call it a little season if it's another thousand years? If it's the same thing as what we just went through. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that section 77 uh, makes it pretty clear that you have seven groups of a thousand years, not eight. So I, I don't know if that theory holds water. Um, but when you are trying to figure out why the meridian of time is called the meridian of time, why is it called the middle? It's not the middle. Well, you have to look at the way that the Hebrews used to measure time. And, you know, you could say, oh, well, Joseph Smith wasn't a Hebrew. He wasn't a Jew. So why is Joseph Smith saying such and such? Well, Joseph Smith was interpreting the book of Revelation. And John, the revelator, was a Jew. He would have been very familiar with this kind of a calendar. He would have been very familiar with this kind of accounting system. And with the group of seven, the number seven was very important in all of the, um, the Jewish counting system, the Jewish calendaring system, um, and also the Jewish symbology. They use seven in a lot of that kind of thing. And if you read the book of Revelation, how many times does it use the word seven? Revelation chapter seven, Revelation chapter seven, verse seven. <laughs> I don't know, several, there's seven the vials, breaks, seven trumpets, seven angels. That's a lot. Yeah. Seven churches. Yeah. Seven churches. Yeah. It, seven is used constantly, constantly. Um, seven is a symbol of completeness. And John wanted to make it very clear the, that the Lord will complete his work. He will complete his work. And there's nothing that the devil, the false prophet, the dragon, or the beast can do about it. They can try, but they ain't going to stop. They it. will try. Joseph Smith said, no unhallowed hand. I think that's the way that John was saying it. Ain't no beast, ain't no false prophet, ain't no dragon going to stop this work. And he used that symbolically to say it will be completed so let's let's go back a couple steps okay? let's before, go back. before we get into that. Let's start at the very, very beginning. Make this as simple as possible. Okay, simple. Okay. I like it. I get it. All right. We can count, right? Uh, can we count to seven? I can, yes. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Now, when we count to seven, is there a middle when we count to seven? Uh, not as we understand it. No. Unless you go three and a half. Three and a half. Right. So if you're counting on your fingers, one, two, three, and then you have like a... It's a pistol. It's it's a pistol, right? <laughs> one, two, three, and then you got like this little half thingy. Well, when the Lord is dealing with time, he doesn't count half fingers, okay? He doesn't do half periods of time. He doesn't do halves. He does full periods of time. So we have to count all the way up to four, one, two, three, four, until we can get to the halfway point, okay? So half before and half after. The half before is four, and the half that's after is three, okay? One, two, three, four, one, two, three. There were four periods, four seals, 
4,000 year time periods, four days before Christ came, before he was born, before he was born to Mary in Bethlehem. There were four. After Christ comes, after Christ came, meaning after he died and was resurrected and left the earth, there were three more, or there will be three more. So we have four before he was born and three after he left the earth, after he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Okay. Now, before the, the we start counting, before we start counting, there were two people who lived in the Garden of Eden named Adam and Eve. I've heard of them. You've heard of them. Yeah, I have. Man. Adam and Eve were not bound by time in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was, it had a different way of measuring time. They did have creative periods and they did measure things in a certain way, but it was different back then. It was different before Adam and Eve left the garden. When they left the garden, that's when the clock started. That's when the calendar started. And we had 4,000 years from the time they left the garden until Christ was born. Okay. So the question is, when did the calendar restart? If we have a little period of time where Christ was living on the earth, and then we restart with our fifth, sixth, and seventh fingers, right? When did it start? Did it start when he was resurrected? Did it start when he was crucified? Did it start when he was ascended into heaven? Did it start after he had gone to the Nephites and to all the other members of the house of Israel, all the other tribes that were lost or scattered throughout the earth? We don't exactly know. What we do know is that right now we are still in the sixth seal. Right. And how do we know that? So it's been since Christ was born. It's been 223 years, give or take. Since Christ was born? Yeah. It's been 223. Sorry, 2,000. Okay, there we go. (laughs) 2,023 years since Christ was born, right? That's why we're in the year 2023. And he was born in April. He was born in in the nighttime on April 5th. So as of April 5th this year, we are now in the 2024th year since Christ was born. Okay. Um, His birthday, his first birthday was 1 AD. So if we just say, okay, 2 AD is 2, 3 AD is 3, 4 AD, he had his fourth birthday, all the way until now, right now, it would be his 2023rd birthday since he was born. Okay. And if we look at that and we say, well, each one of those seals, each one of those thousand year periods is exactly a thousand years, then 2000 years from the time that he left the earth, whatever that means, is when we will start the seventh seal. That's that's when the seventh seal will, be, will begin. Now, how do we know that we're still in the sixth seal? There's a few scriptures that we can pull out to take a look at that. Um, we talked about the book of Revelation in chapter seven, how John specifically and very explicitly says this is still part of the sixth seal where there is 12,000 from every tribe that is gathered together to form the 144,000 that are called to this special, this special meeting, this special work. And it says that there will be an innumerable 
multitude, a multitude that no man can number, that will gather to be with the Lamb of God just before the seventh seal. Okay. I believe that that's Adam on the Ammon, but I don't think that Adam on the Ammon has happened yet. Also in the book of Doctrine and Covenants in section 45, it says that before the day of the Lord come, that the remnant of the Jews will be gathered unto Jerusalem. Specifically, it says they will be gathered unto this place. And it's talking about Christ when he was in Jerusalem speaking to his disciples. So it says that before the day of the Lord come, meaning the, the seventh seal, the millennial day, that the Jews will be gathered to Jerusalem. Have they been gathered to Jerusalem yet? In a sense, they've started. They've started to, right? Right. So we could say, well, that's been fulfilled. We're good. But here's what Nephi says. Nephi says that the tribes of Israel, the house of Israel, is not fully gathered until they have learned about and accepted and covenanted with the true Messiah. So until they are baptized in the true church, making covenants with the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, then they are not fully gathered can you imagine how hard that's going to be for them too? We have, I hear a debate amongst Christians even about the Sabbath day and how that's Saturday. That's because it was, right? Why do we celebrate on Sunday? Well, it's because Christ was risen on Sunday and that's his day, right? So man, what a change that will be for like a devout Jew who's just like, I don't know if I can do this because uh, the Sabbath is Saturday, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could probably shift your week. So the seventh seal, tell me about the seventh seal. I want to hear what your thoughts are on that because Revelations is like there's a lot of war going on in the seventh seal, lots of wars. We're going to try to make this as simple as possible, Okay, right? yeah, we got to. We so got to. let's go step by step through the timeline from the beginning. All right. In the beginning, God created the earth. Spiritually, by the way, spiritually. So he created all things spiritually, and then he will create all things physically. Okay. So he began the creation, and we get all the way to the sixth day of creation, and Adam and Eve are created, right? He says, after he's created Eve, he says that his creation is very good. And he introduces Adam and Eve into the Garden of Eden that he has prepared for them to live and to, uh, and to inhabit the earth. He gives them certain commandments. One of the commandments is that they need to multiply and replenish the earth. He commands them that they should remain together and cleave unto one another. And the third commandment he gives to them is that they cannot eat the fruit of the forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're not allowed to eat that tree. There's another person who is introduced into the garden. His name is Lucifer. When Lucifer was in heaven, his name was Lucifer. And when he was cast down into the earth, he became Satan, the devil, the father of lies, the son of perdition, right? So Satan is on the earth and he approaches Adam and Eve and he tempts them to partake of the forbidden fruit. And Eve in being deceived and beguiled 
but also having a little bit of an in, of inspiration, knowing that there wasn't another way to become like God and to receive this knowledge, she decides that she's going to partake of this fruit. She partakes of the fruit and she gives Adam of the fruit so that he can partake of it also. And Adam realizes, I can obey the two commandments to multiply and replenish the earth and to remain with my wife or I can not partake of the not fruit. partake of the fruit. One or two. Which one's better? Do so, two million the dollars. Two, the two, million the two dollars. commandments or the one commandment, right? And so, when God comes, He says, "Look, I'm not happy about this, Satan. You're in trouble." However, I knew this was going to happen. I've already prepared a plan long, long ago for this exact scenario. Here's what we're going to do. You can't stay here. You can't stay in the garden in my presence and partake of the tree of life. But I will prepare a way for you to return to be able to partake of the tree of life in the future. And the way that I've prepared is the Savior, Jesus Christ. As of right now, you're kicked out. You're cast out of the garden and you're cast out of my presence and you are dead spiritually because you have transgressed my laws. However, all of the rest of time, from now until the end of time, I have this plan, and the plan is centered around our Savior Jesus Christ. Time itself is centered around our Savior Jesus Christ. So when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, time began. They lived for... 900 and something years, almost at least a, Adam did. Almost Eve a might have, Eve might have too, right? Yeah. And after that first thousand years, history continued. We had Enoch and we had Noah and we had Shem and we had Melchizedek and we had Abraham and we had Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. We had uh, the children of Israel in Egypt. Then they had Moses and Moses helped them be helped deliver them from Egypt. We continued and we continued until we had David and Solomon and the kings. We had uh, the history all the way up until the time of Lehi and Nephi in Jerusalem when um, they escaped Jerusalem and then Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and many were taken captive. Then they returned. And then we had later on, we had the, the Maccabees and we had um, the story of Hanukkah all the way up until the temple was rebuilt um, by King Herod. It was renovated by King Herod, um, the temple that they had rebuilt after they came back. And we had the birth of Jesus Christ. So all of this history, all this biblical history, the Old Testament from the book of Genesis all the way until the end, um, Malachi wasn't quite the birth of Jesus. There was, a, there was a gap there. But we had all of this history of 4,000 years of, of Old Testament history until Jesus Christ was born. When Jesus Christ was born, it started a new era. It started an era called the meridian of time because Jesus Christ is the middle. He's the focus. He is what everything else is centered around, right? He is the, the, the key. He's the center keystone of the whole entire plan and the whole entire thing. So the meridian of time, the center of time, the focus of time is Jesus Christ. And in fact, we even measure our time right now. Off from, of his birth. Off of his birth, right? Right. 
Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So um, Christ was born, and it started this period of time called the Meridian of Time. And he lived until he was about 33, 34 years old. And after he was finished with his ministry, he sacrificed himself. He gave himself to be sacrificed, and he was crucified. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave, from the tomb. And when he was risen, he kicked off the, the resurrection. After the resurrection, he ministered to his disciples, his apostles, and taught them exactly what they needed to do to continue the church, to preach the gospel to all the world, to administer the gospel, to baptize, to give the gift of the Holy Ghost, to, to teach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof, right? And for 40 days, he was administering and ministering to his disciples until the time of the ascension. When he ascended into heaven, he was on the top of the Mount of Olives with them, and he went up. He ascended up into heaven, and there were angels there. And the angels told the disciples, hey, why are you gazing up in heaven? Don't you know that he will return in the exact same way that he left from this very mount, the Mount of Olives? And they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> When? <laughs> when? When will that be exactly? From the time of the ascension, he went to all of the tribes of Israel that had been scattered throughout the world, and he taught them the gospel. He preached to them the new law, the law of the gospel. And we know this from the Book of Mormon, that he, he preached to the, the Nephites and the Lamanites who were there. Um, his, his new law the law that was a fulfillment of the law of Moses. And in this new law, the higher law, the law of the gospel, we had a new era. It began a new era. It began the fifth seal. And from that point, whenever that point was, 2,000 years later, we had an apostasy. We had um, the formation of a great and abominable church. We had... Um, a falling away that came first before the return of Christ. We had a, a renaissance. We had a, an awakening, a preparation for the restoration of the gospel. We had the, the formation of a nation in the United States of America that allowed freedom of religion to be the law of the land. And from the, all that preparation that went into preparing the world for the restoration of the gospel— we were able to bring the gospel back through a, a boy prophet named Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith kicked off a new era. It was the era of restoration. It was the dispensation of the fullness of times. It was a period of preparation, of restoration, and of, of light that allowed the world to prepare for the coming of Christ. And so from the time of the restoration of the gospel and the restoration of the church in 1830, we have this period of preparation until the time when Christ comes to reign on the earth. He will reign on the earth with his saints for a thousand years. And where will he begin his reign? Where will he begin to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on earth? Where or when? Where? Starts in Zion. That's right. It starts in Zion. So for all the primary kids out there, Zion 
is a city that not has <laughs> that's not built yet. It's a city that has a beautiful temple in it. And inside the temple is a throne, a throne for a king. And the throne is for the king of kings, Jesus Christ. So Jesus will be in the throne, in the temple, in the city, in the land, in the nation of Zion. And Zion will be, Joseph Smith said that Zion will eventually fill all of America from north to south. So that is a new era. It's it also, it's an era called the seventh seal or the millennial day. Sometimes the, the, most, uh, the most common name for it is called the day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord when Jesus will be here on the earth. And like the 10th article of faith says, he will reign personally upon the earth and the earth will receive its paradisiacal glory. That's a new era. That's the seventh seal. At the end of the seventh seal, Christ will leave the earth and he will go someplace else. He will go to another earth. He will go be with other people. And at the end of the, at the, end of the time of Christ's reign, we will have a little season, a little season without Christ, but where people are still righteous. And little by little by little, over the course of this little season, Satan will be reintroduced. He will be loosed, meaning he will be able to tempt people again. And during this little season, he will start to tempt the people who are on the earth, and they will begin to choose Satan over God once again. And there will be one final battle, a huge battle between good and evil called the Battle of Gog and Magog at the very end of time. And right before the very end of the earth, there, there will be a huge battle between Michael and the righteous and Satan and the wicked. And of course, Michael will win again, just like he did before. And then we will have the very, very end of the earth, not the end of the world. The end of the world is when the wicked are destroyed. We will have the end of the earth where the earth will be completely changed and it will go from being a normal planet to being a celestial kingdom. And then we will have another era altogether. So at what point is Satan bound? Good question. Okay, so is he bound? Let me ask, let me return the question to you for a second. Is he bound the moment that Christ appears in Zion? No. Why? Because we have in the seventh seal, a lot of wars that are going to be happening. War will be raging and people will be killing their neighbor. But if Satan was bound, wouldn't be able to be that force of, you know, evil. I feel like he can't be bound yet, right? Could he be? I don't know. Uh, there's a, he's bound for a thousand years. That's what the scripture says. And then loose for a small season. That's right. He will be bound in Zion. Okay. Okay. So he will, the, um, the book of the prophet Nephi says that, um, Satan will be bound because of the righteousness of the people. I think there's also probably some sort of priesthood ordinance that goes along with that, of, of the ability to bound Satan, to bind Satan. That's gotta be sealing power somewhere, right? Yeah, sure. It's gotta be. Yeah. The sealing power used to, yeah, absolutely, to, to bind Satan. Um, and to lock him up in chains until the end of the millennium. 
but metaphorical chains because he doesn't have a body exactly spiritual <laughs> chains yeah. um when christ came to the americas after he had left it took them two years to convert all of the land every single person in the entire land was converted unto the lord and how long did they have peace and safety and refuge 80 years it's actually more than that. Was it 200 years? Yeah, it was about 200 years. I think it was 80 years, and then they had a small thing happen, right? And then, because I just finished this, I just don't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was eight. Well, I swear there's something with 80, but it's pretty sure 200. And then, yeah, it's it goes it's here. around 200 years, and they they were still they still had peace and safety, but there were people who began to call themselves Lamanites at that point, and there was a little division. And that little division began to grow and to expand until eventually the the whole entire land was was embroiled in war. And one of the groups of the people, the Nephites, was completely destroyed, right? That is, yeah, still three of them, but yeah. Well, unless they defected and became Lamanites. <laughs> there were some who did defect to the Lamanites. Well, I'm saying that we have three Nephites around somewhere on this earth. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, we do. They're here. So I want to meet one. That would be so cool. That would absolutely be, that would absolutely yeah. be cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there were three disciples, the three Nephites, that were able to live beyond that. They they continue to live mm -hmm, they do. until the Lord comes again. Talk about bros, man. Like, those are some bros. <laughs> like, best friends, you know? Those are the best, best friends you would ever have. You three... We're all touched by the Savior and not quite transfigured, but a change happened. And you've just been on this earth for probably 2,000 years because you were alive when Christ was born, right? You remember those signs. Yep. You were there when he died. You remember the three days of darkness on the land over here? The storms and the tempests. Yeah, and cities falling off in seas and all that. And yet you're still around with, you know, your buddies. <laughs> those are some bros <laughs> do you think they get separated like do you think they walk around together or do you think they're separate do you think they go off and they're like okay hey meet me in uh, jerusalem in about a year yeah i think they we'll do. have a we'll have like a correlation meeting or something i think they do i really do i think i think they definitely would stick together at times but i think they would have to separate because they would be sent to do different things i think at different times yeah that makes sense. And if they wanted to, they could communicate. Right. I mean. You've got some, you got some knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if it's like, hey, send an angel, I got a message. Right. 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 Just angelic messenger. Right. I mean, the Gabriel go, goes to Daniel, you know, and then he leaves because he has to go help someone else out. Right. right. So he shows up. He goes yeah. to Mary and then he has to leave. And, and then he I'm goes saying to like, Joseph that's what it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Got to pass along this word. Yep. What's the word? Go visit Eric. Eric wants to meet you. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> After you're done with Eric, go to Sean. So we, you we think he's bound you. then, huh? But at the beginning of the seventh seal. No. Okay. Okay. So Satan is not fully bound until after the resurrection. Okay. After the seventh angel has sounded his trump and after the seventh vial of wrath has been poured out. So let's walk through that portion of the seventh seal really quick. So Jesus comes with the city of Enoch, and he is reigning in Zion. Okay, he comes down, sets his foot upon Mount Zion, 
and there's a judgment that happens. And the judgment basically is, I love you saints. Good job, right? You still got to pull out the books, but welcome, yes. <laughs> welcome to, to Mount Zion. And he has the disciples, his disciples, his apostles who are in the temple with him on the throne, judging the house of Israel. That's when the judgment of the house of Israel begins. And I think the judgment is not just, are you guilty or not, right? Or are you innocent or not? I think it's more than that. I think the judgment also includes a um, uh, counsel on how to do the work. So it's not just, are you good or not? It's also, how can I help you progress? How can I help you do the work of the Lord so that everyone else can progress? How can I help you magnify your calling so that you can receive a greater and more holier and brighter and a more amazing resurrection? That makes sense. Have you ever been to court? Yeah. I've been to court multiple times and that's what they do. They say, hey, this is what, this is where you're at, but you're not supposed to be here. We need to get you to here. So we're going to, we're going to disperse. We're going to talk to these attorneys and these attorneys. And then in this case, it would just be Christ, right? He's the advocate. Well, those who hold the keys. Right. So okay. it, it so, could yeah. be like your bishop. It could be your stake president. Sure. It could be your mission president. And we're going to convene and meet with them. And then we're going to come back and say, if you want to make it here, these are the things you have to do. Go forth and do those things. Right. So that makes sense. And in a way, we carry with us our judgment. We have it with us all the time. It's called a temple recommend. We have three signatures on there. Those three signatures are a judgment of our worthiness. And when we show our temple recommend in the temple, it allows us entry into the house of the Lord. It allows us entry to be able to participate in ordinances that teach us how to return to the presence of the Lord. Right. Right. But some will not belong there, even though they do have that. Well, there is, uh, you know, when you go into the temple, there's like a little scanner. Right? Yeah. So when you go to the judgment in the, the oh, there, it'll be there. Mount Zion, right? <laughs> you scan your recommend and it'll appear. And then you'll have one of the judges come out and be like, hmm. Not that guy. That said, <laughs> that pulled up green, did it? Hmm. Interesting. Hey, uh, Sean, can we have a conversation? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, really, though, that will happen, right? We think think about the the wedding where uh, all the guests wouldn't come, so they brought in just people from the street, yeah. right? And there was one guest. And they were uh, they were given garments. They were given garments, right? Yep. But one of them wasn't. He, For whatever, like, why? Right. They were handing out the garments, and he didn't have one. Right? So either he entered by some other way. Yep. Or whatever that Called is. through the window. So it was just one. But if we can liken that to members, there will be a percentage that aren't supposed to. That's right. They exist now. They do. People who are going through the motions, who might have a current temple recommend, who go to the temple, um, who shouldn't be there for whatever reason. Um, if that is you out in podcast land, repent of your sins. Yeah, we still love you. I know. We still love you. You know, I, I, everyone's in a different spot. And uh, I'm not here to judge you where you are on your path at all, ever, because that's not what I do. But 
And also, we're not the judges. Right. Well, no. Y- yeah. you, you There's report, 24 of them. You, well, you report to your bishop. Sure. Your bishop is the judge. And so, you know, if if your bishop gives you the go-ahead and you didn't tell him something that you were supposed to tell him, um, your signature is on there too. So you and your bishop and the stake president or a member of the bishopric or a member of the stake presidency, it's between you guys. And you yeah. go work it out and you should work it out. If you haven't worked it out yet, go do it. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So we have the judges in, in Israel. Okay. And then we kick off this, this period of preparation for the work of the father to prepare for the, for the first resurrection. And we, we start this period of the trumpets and we have seven trumpets and these seven trumpets announce various things. They announce some things that are of God and they also announce some things that are of the world or of Satan. And they they announce both. And basically they're saying, okay, this is the next step in the timeline of the second coming. This is the next sign that will be given. And so we have these seven angels and we get all the way up until the sixth angel and we start to have war and and uh, a siege against Jerusalem. And then we have two prophets that go to Jerusalem to begin temple work there, to begin missionary work there, to begin the work of the Lord there, to begin the conversion of the Jews, um, and to finish that gathering that began with the Jews physically gathering to Israel, but also it will allow them to spiritually gather to the Lord, to the true Messiah. And during that time of gathering of the Jews, right in the middle of it, there will be a huge catastrophe. The two prophets that began this amazing ministry will be killed right in the middle of this, of this, uh, of this period. The prophet Daniel says that it's a period of seven years. In the middle of this period, the prophets will be killed and my reading of the scriptures is that they will be betrayed. They will, there will literally be spies who are in their inner circle who have intelligence. They're spies for the enemy. The bottomless and, pit is the word it says that they were sent forth from the bottomless pit and they will kill the two. I think it's what it says in, I think it's chapter eight of Revelation or nine. Anyways, I'm listening. Sorry. Well, the two prophets are in chapter 11. 11 okay. Uh, but there's a lead up to that, right? So the, um, during the, I think it's the fifth trumpet, there will be an opening of the bottomless pit and Satan will respond. So we'll have the four angels from the Lord. And then the fifth angel will sound and there will be four angels that come from Satan four evil spirits that are released into the earth. So there's this back and forth between the wicked and the righteous and the bottomless pit, the armies that come from the bottomless pit, it says there'll be 200 million horsemen, meaning like trucks and tanks and et cetera, et cetera, that will come from this army to go up against Jerusalem. They'll finally prevail. How many of those will die from plagues being like spit out of the mouth of the prophets, the fire coming out of their mouths and like they'll call plagues against them. How many will die in that period of time? I don't know. But eventually they will prevail and the prophets will be killed. Then three and a half days later, they will kick off the resurrection. That is the beginning of the first resurrection when the two prophets are called up and raised up and resurrected. All of the other righteous throughout the world will also be resurrected at that point. 
in the book of Revelation, it says that um, the day of the judgment of the saints has come, that they shall receive their reward. That's when the first resurrection happens. And the first resurrection will continue for until it's done. Could be three and a half years until Christ comes to Jerusalem. Could be longer. It could be all the way up until he appears to the entire earth. But the first resurrection will happen and all of the righteous will be gathered out of the earth so that the Lord can pour out wrath. The seventh trumpet announces the first resurrection, but it also announces several other things. Michael is the seventh angel and he announces the first resurrection, but he also announces that wrath is coming. He announces that time will end. He announces that Satan will be bound. And all of these things are going to happen after he sounds his trump. Okay. So now we're in the period of the seventh trump and we've had the first resurrection. And now, according to Doctrine and Covenants 45, after the, the righteous have been resurrected, the arm of the Lord shall fall upon the nations, meaning the wrath, the wrath will come. The wrath will fall upon the nations of the earth. And eventually, the nations will all be dissolved. There'll be a full end of all nations. And all that will be left are tribes. Kins people, your family, your friends, your acquaintances. Maybe you've joined some uh, little group of ap apocalyptic uh, folks who are trying to survive. Maybe you have some preppers over here. Maybe you've got like this, uh, I don't know, you've seen all the apocalyptic movies. You got your living, the, I don't know if I've seen the all Walking of them. Dead over here. <laughs> you've got your uh, Mad Max over here. You've got your Waterworld over here. Like, you know what I mean? And so um, I, I'm trying to think of all the apocalyptic movies that I can think all of. The, yeah, okay, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. You got your... Uh, your Terminator movie over here, right? Your AI and whatever. So all of the people are gathered together in these groups. They've bundled themselves together. The tares have bundled themselves together into groups, um, into bundles. And these bundles are preparing themselves to be burned. Because even though they're gathering together, they're organizing and they're trying to keep themselves safe and they're they're trying to protect each other, the entire world will be completely overrun with violence. Everyone will be, will be killing each other. There'll be wars and rumors of wars and neighbor will go against neighbor and brother against brother. And um, people will hate each other and they will, their hearts will wax cold and they will kill each other. If they want to escape, they have to flee to one of two places. They have to flee to Zion or they have to flee to Jerusalem with the Jews after Christ has come to Jerusalem, okay? So during this period of wrath, during this period of the, the dis, dissolution of nations, there will be greater and greater and greater destruction until the very, very end when there will be lightning and thunderings and storms and tempests and plagues and um, hail the size of a talent and one earthquake. I think the term is an earthquake. What it says. Well, okay. Right? So That's what it says, isn't it? There, it? It does. It says that there will be wrath poured out upon the earth up until Christ comes. The sixth, the sixth vial of wrath will be 
Armageddon. And in the midst of Armageddon, right in the middle of that war, Christ will appear to, to Jerusalem and he will save the Jews from destruction, from this battle of Armageddon. And in the meantime, when he appears, he will set his foot upon the Mount of Olives and the entire earth will shake. And there will be a humongous, gigantic earthquake that shakes all things across the entire world. Um, at that same time, by the word of his mouth, he will destroy the evil nations that are come up against Jerusalem. And there will be a complete mass destruction of all of those armies and all of those horsemen and all of those artillery and all of those aircraft and all of those ships and everyone who has come up against the Jews in Jerusalem um, who has been following Satan. The, organ the organized militaries of the world will no longer exist after Christ is done fighting the war, fighting the battle of Armageddon. When Christ fights, it's over. There will be no more organized military after that point. Now, the tribes will still fight. There will be violence. It will be kind of similar to what was happening in um, the end of, of the Book of Ether. Right, yeah, Ether and Ethan, where the everyone, Book of Mormon. people are just dying everywhere. There's death everywhere. There's bodies everywhere. And they're <clears> just <throat> trying to gather all the people together for just last ditch survival. And during this time, plagues will continue to be poured out and the seventh vial of wrath will begin. Um, among the terrible things that will happen, okay, you've got hail the size of a talent. Do you know how big a talent is? I think a talent's about that big. Nope. No, it's bigger? Oh, yeah. A lot bigger? So um, I think it's 10,000 shekels, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would hurt. <laughs> right? Uh, if I, if I remember correctly, it's about 76 pounds to, so... <laughs> I tried to figure out how big that would be. How big of ice chunks are we talking about that are falling from the sky for the primary hail is giant ice that falls out of the sky. Right. You okay. can get like a 10 or 20 pound block at the store. The size of a beach ball. So that's much. how big the ice would have to be to be 76 pounds. Yeah. Like it'll kill you. Uh, yeah. yeah. So when they're the size of golf balls or the size of baseballs, it can it can basically punch holes in the top of your car. Right. Right. Imagine getting hit in the head by a seventy six pound chunk of ice falling from the sky, uh, beach ball size. Absolutely devastating. Um, and the hail will be across the entire earth. Could you imagine hail the size of beach balls? all over the entire earth you're in your house and you're like on the first floor and you have like five floors in your house and penetrating down floor by floor until <laughs> we say all the earth but does that mean also zion but zion will just be protected no the people the righteous are gone okay okay right because the righteous have been taken out at this point okay the righteous have been taken up into heaven zion will come down from below or from above and then zion will come up from beneath so that's in section um Section 84, 84, something like that, where there's a poem, there's a song where it talks about how Zion will come down from above and then Zion will be come up from beneath. Zion will come down first and then Zion will be taken up into heaven. And so the righteous are gone. The wrath is not for the righteous. All of the, the people who are left on earth, they're getting decimated by these plagues, absolutely decimated. Lightning that is, is stronger than any lightning that has ever been on the earth. 
um, storms, maybe during the time of the Nephites, maybe they had lightning that was similar. There'll be tempests and whirlwinds and the waves of the sea heaving themselves beyond their bounds. Um, there'll be the uh, the plague of, of the talent-sized hail. But there's one other plague that's pretty devastating and that they talk about in the book of Revelation. The plague of the birds. Do you know about this plague? Um, tell me about it. So, there will be birds that will feast upon the remaining people on the earth. Okay. So, if you're injured, you get smacked in the head by a, a maybe it's not in the head because you'd be dead, but it, maybe you get smacked in the leg or in the arm or something that knocks you over or whatever. There will be birds that are going to be sent to feast upon all of the people who are left. So, those of you who have this huge phobia of birds attacking you, yeah. <laughs> you want to join the righteous before that day, okay? Yeah. Um, like there's horror movies about this where you get attacked by birds. That's what the plague is going to be. There's going to be birds that will feast. And it says that they they will be called, the birds will be called to feast upon the, the remaining inhabitants of the earth. That's crazy. So then after they're all wiped out, Satan is bound. Yeah. We inherit the earth again. Okay, we, we haven't gotten to Satan being bound yet. Yes, I'm sorry, but after this... Satan's bound. So after after those that seventh vial of wrath, after those giant plagues, one final sign will be given before Christ comes. And it will be this called it's called the sign of the Son of Man. And it will be a giant light coming out of the east that fills the sky and goes towards the west. And it says that the people will think it's a comet, they'll think it's a planet, they'll think it's a some sort of meteor they'll they'll think it's something um joseph smith talks about this they'll think that it's something that is not okay some some sort of sign in the heavens and that is the sign of christ's coming his final coming the big 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 final coming to all flesh and when he comes when he appears in the clouds of heaven with all of his holy angels the earth will be consumed by his glory in the book of Peter, in the Joseph Smith translation of the book of Peter, chapter 3, it says that the elements will be filled with his glory and they will be burned up by it. So it's, it's, we talked a little bit about this with Jared's podcast, right? Where the elements will be filled with glory and if they're not pure, they will be consumed. Only the things that are pure will remain. Only those things that are able to abide the day, able to abide that glory will remain and everything else will not. So here's a question then. Why pour out all these plagues on a people where there's no righteous, right? Are there going to be righteous people here? If people will accept these plagues and say, oh my gosh, this was all written about in the scriptures. They seek forgiveness. Will they be What's going to happen to them? Why the plagues, you know? Is it just to punish them? Or is there, will there be some way for them to also become righteous? I think that there will be some who repent. Right? Why else would he do this, right? Absolutely. It's, there's two reasons. The first reason is he's still cleansing and purifying the Jews, right? The Jews still need to have that cleansing period and that that period of purification. Which is crazy because we are near the end of a thousand years here. And <laughs> that's just crazy. But okay, yeah. 
and all of the rest of the earthly. Remember what it says. It says in Doctrine and Covenants 45, it says, if you don't want to take up the sword against your neighbor, what do you have to do? Flee to Zion. Flee to Zion. Yeah. Right? And what if Zion is up in heaven? What right. if they've been gathered out? Right. What do you do? That's what my question is. What You're do you think? still going to have missionaries. You're still going to have angels. You're still going to have representatives here, messengers that are good. And this is, this is what uh, the Three scriptures talk about. Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if they would still be John, here then. John the Revelator. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in the scriptures, it says in, um, in Luke chapter 21, we talked about this today, actually in Sunday school. Um, it's in the Sunday school lesson. I don't know if we actually talked about the specific thing, but we, um, we will have angels who are going throughout all the earth to gather mine elect, to gather the elect from across the earth and to bring them to Zion, to bring them to the body of the saints, to bring them to uh, the, the body of Christ. There is, uh, there's a parable where it talks about the eagles, that the eagles will come to the body. And it's kind of a weird, like, it's kind of a weird uh, a weird parable because it's like, okay, there's a dead body and the eagles will come from all over to eat it. Yeah, this is in Doctrine and Covenants, right? Yeah. Yeah, I read it not too long ago. I think it's in 45. It, it's, in the, it's in the New Testament as well. But it's talking about the eagles that will be gathered to eat this dead body. It's like weird. It's kind of a weird parable. But if you look at it carefully and you kind of kind of flesh that out, no pun intended, um, the eagles are the elect that are scattered throughout the world. And they will come to the body of Christ and they'll partake of the sacrament. They'll partake of the body of Christ. They'll partake of that sacrifice of Christ. And it's kind of a beautiful parable in that way. Yeah, I mean, I mean if, you, that, if you don't yeah. think about like the... Gore and blood. Yeah. The gory part of it. Um, the eagles will fly to where the body of Christ is. And at that point, you're going to have, there There are going to be a few people left out there that have repented or that are good people that are still surviving or whatever, um, that maybe they, they are just done. They're done with the, the wickedness. They're done with the evil. They're done with the violence and they just want to get out. Um, the angels and the missionaries and those who are left that are righteous, who are left on the earth that are part of that work, will go find them. They'll be inspired. They'll say, okay, well, we got uh, this family that's over here in um, Turkmenistan. We've got this family in Australia. We've got a family over in Brazil. We've got a family, you know, whatever, um, wherever they are. And they'll say, okay, we got to get there. So they'll go by miraculous means or otherwise, they'll go and they'll gather this family and, and they'll get them out. And they'll bring them to Zion. And um, that is the very last gathering. The last little bits of every last person that, that should be saved will be saved and will be gathered out. The Lord is not going to save in. Isn't, he's not going to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not going to. Forsake maybe? Forsake. Yeah. Is that the he's word? not okay. going to forsake someone who wants to turn to him. Who wants to come unto him. Um, all are invited. And it's a free gift, and he's not going to leave them alone. He's not going to leave them comfortless. Right. And I think we have to clarify this, I think, because of a recent conversation of mine. He will not forsake anyone within the time of seven, within the seals, right? 
once the judgment, the final judgment happens, will there be a chance for others to still change? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Always. Even after final judgment? As long as you're alive. Okay. And as long as you're alive. Yeah. Yes. So there's hope. As long as you're still alive on this earth, there's still hope. You have to be on the covenant path while on the earth. Correct, right? Or toward going towards the covenant path. That would be the covenant path. Well, even if you, let's say that you haven't found a way to get baptized. No, it doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter. Because you are on the, this is how I view the covenant path, right? Okay. There's like a trail that leads to the covenant, like a covenant trail. (laughs) That's still a path. It's still a path. I think we think of it as you have to be baptized and you have to be doing these things. Let's say, let's say that I am uh, a kid who had no idea about any of this. And all of a sudden I find the scriptures, right? I read them. I believe them. I die before I'm baptized. I was on that covenant path. Why? Because I was making my way towards that. I had no idea, but I found the belief. I had faith in Christ and I did my due diligence to be on that path. You're on the path. You are on that path. Your work will be done for you, right? That's It will be done for you. And you can receive those blessings because you were on that covenant path of, I want to do these things. I'm actively doing these things. But if you didn't have the opportunity to, once you knew, I don't know. I think there's an interesting parable um, that Christ talks about where he um, he gives the parable of this guy who owns a farm or, or land um, that he needs to have workers. And he goes early in the morning and he finds some people and he says, hey, I will pay you a penny. And I think it's probably not a penny because it is a penny. That's what he says. Well, in those, they didn't have pennies. I know, but a pence or something. Yeah, right. But the scriptures say penny. Penny, The scriptures say penny. Um, It was probably like a shekel or whatever. But he says, I'll pay you a penny if you come work the land for me today. And they're like, great. So he gets a bunch of workers and they all start working and they they start to do the harvest, right? And he's like, I need more workers. And so he goes in the middle of the day and he realizes he needs more more workers. And so he grabs more workers and he offers to pay them a penny for their work. And towards the end of the day, he noticed that he still needs more workers. And so he goes and he hires other people to assist him. And he offers to pay them a penny also. And at the end of the day, everyone gathers together and the people who started at the very beginning of the day and the people who started at the end of the day, they're all gathered together to collect their wages. And he pays everyone a penny. And the people who started at the beginning of the day are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, bro. That ain't fair. <laughs> What up with that, yo? And they're like, you're paying them a penny and they started at the end of the day? That's not fair. And he said, hold on. Didn't we agree that you would work today for a penny? And they said, well, yeah. And he says, I'm in charge here. I give the same reward for all of my laborers. So if you, if it's, if it's late in the day, it's still during the you're day. You're still doing it. You're still on the you're, you're, you're still working the land. You're still you're still participating in in uh, the work of the Lord. So, if you feel like in your life it's late in the day, 
you can still receive the same reward as those who started at the very beginning of their lives because the Lord will pay the same reward to all of those who come unto him. So is it ever too late? It's only too late if you die. So while you're still alive, do whatever you can to come unto Christ. And yeah, you know what? Joseph Smith talks about how whatever principle of knowledge you gain in this life, it will follow you in the resurrection and you'll be that much better in the next life. All of that's true. But at least you're in the next life, right? Like at least if, you, if you're celestial and you're the, like the, the lowliest, least knowledgeable person in the celestial kingdom. A financial clerk. You're still <laughs> in the celestial kingdom and right. you're, you're still able to progress, right? Right. So never give up. Never surrender. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you said that one. I'm so glad. Yeah. Okay. So back to the timeline real quickly. We're almost at the end of it, right? So. Okay. So Christ comes with all the angels in heaven. Okay. And in that moment, Satan is bound. That's when Satan is bound. And he's bound for a thousand years. Time has ended. From that moment. Right. Yeah. And time's ended. So it's a thousand years. It's interesting that it's still a thousand years. Mm-hmm. But the clock that was started has stopped, and now it's a different, we're talking, it's now a different clock, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, when the, when the heavens and the earth pass away, that is the clock. That's the clock. So you have, you have uh, um, the day hand of the clock, which is the earth that rotates, you have the month hand of the clock, that's the moon that rotates. You've got the year hand of the clock, that is the sun that rotates, um, the earth rotating around the sun. Um, you've got seasons, you've got like all of these different ways that you measure time, the planets even. All of that's going to pass away. There'll be new heavens and a new earth. So the, the earth is not going to rotate the same. The sun is not going to rotate the same. The earth is not going to rotate around the sun the same. The moon is not going to rotate. The, everything is going to be different. And I've thought about this. Like maybe the earth is taken through space, like hurled through space into the celestial realm of celestial planets or something. I don't know. Maybe it goes through a black hole. I don't, I don't know. I've seen too many sci-fi movies. But the earth will be different. The earth will be different and the heavens will be different. And the heavens and the earth will be new and they'll be celestial. So wait, Christ comes, Satan is bound for a, a thousand years, right? Not for yeah. all time. Not, Not yet. Not for all time. Not yet. There'll be a little season. And then there's a little season. Yeah. But that's got to be before the celestial glory of the earth, correct or no? That it, no, it is. Yeah. That's and before the celestial glory. Yep. So we are 7,000 years, seventh uh, vials poured out, seventh trumpet is sound. Yep. And then Satan is then bound. A millennium, a thousand yeah. years of peace. And this is worldwide millennium at this point. So it started in Zion. There's a little season of burning, of destruction, of plagues right before the coming of Christ. And when Christ comes, all things will be consumed and the burning will end and we will have paradise. We'll have paradise on the earth for the remainder of the seventh seal. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, Sean has authored a book series called Chronological Signs of the Second Coming of Christ. 
Volume 1 is about the sixth seal, and Volume 2 is about the seventh seal. Go to seanswork.com signs to find show notes for this episode and links to purchase the books. This podcast is not an official production of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but we faithfully sustain and support the church, its leaders, its teachings, and the scriptures, including the Bible and the Book of Mormon.